Merciful Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the gift of your word and we do pray it would be life to us and to those around us this morning. Amen. All right, well, I'm going to give you something to talk about over a cuppa. Uh, You've got to try and remember something that you had to wait for with anticipation, okay? So you're waiting, waiting, but you were just excited and you could not wait for the day to come, okay? You may have a top list of three. Uh, maybe, maybe it was marrying your, your other, might make the list, I don't know. Um, we've just had a daughter get married eight weeks ago. Uh, Jaya uh, married Cohen, uh, a great Christian lad from Darwin. And Jaya had been scheming and straining towards her wedding day for months. For months, every conversation in our house mysteriously ended up being about the wedding day, whether we were talking about the footy, the weather. It, didn't, it just ended up talking about the wedding. It, it was amazing. Um, but finally, all the waiting was over. The day of October 14th arrived. A house was overrun by an excited bridal party, hairdressers, make, you, you name it. And uh, uh, Jay was just so excited to be marrying Cohen. What I want to do there, I want to put you in the moment. Put you in the moment, maybe evoke a few memories of your own, Got a little video for you to watch. Did anyone do a wedding dance like this? <laughs> Beautiful. Now, I'm sure we've got our own emotions and memories um, of a day like this. What's the best wedding day you've ever been to? Men, the answer is? Okay, excellent. Hopefully. Um, it's true, isn't it? Um, there's just something about a wedding day, a good wedding day, that has the, the ability to sort of thoroughly interrupt and disrupt whatever's going on in our lives, in the world, to lift us out of the suffering and stresses of life into the joy of the day. That, you know, that there is actually light in the darkness, love in the unlovely, joy in the sorrow. And I think that's why Advent is such a precious time of the year. Because we've already been reminded there's plenty of gloom going on around us. Um, it, you know, it could cause us to, to, to spare. But Advent is that season where we work hard to remember Jesus' first arrival at Christmas all those years ago in order to help us remember that he's coming again, to look forward to that day when he is coming again, when Jesus the bridegroom will come for his bride the church. Life is now lived, of course, between these two days, the last days, um, his first and his second coming. And so how do we wait well for this, this day, this future day that matters? How do we sort of look forward with anticipation? And that brings us to the pastoral context of 
uh, 2 Peter. You see, we heard in that reading from 2 Peter chapter 3 that Christians are referred to um, three times as a people in waiting. Waiting for the coming of the day, verse 12. Waiting for the new heavens and a new earth, verse 13. Verse 14, waiting for these things to be found by Jesus. Waiting. Now, there's different sorts of waiting, isn't there? There's the waiting you do when you're just bored. Like, it could be sitting uh, too long uh, waiting for an appointment in a doctor's surgery, you know, flicking through a magazine, whatever it is. But the waiting that's on view here, the, the waiting, what this word means, is like waiting for your wedding day. It's with excitement, with energy, with anticipation. All your thoughts are towards that day. You've orientated, um, you know, your, um, your plans. Um, you're preparing well for that day. And that's the sort of waiting that's on view here. Now, Peter's first letter is for Christians who are in the vice of a world, squeezing them to give up on Jesus. Peter's second letter, though, is to... Uh, written to address the much more dangerous threat to local churches and to Christians, it's complacency and hedonism arising from uh, a scepticism from false teachers within the church that this whole idea of Jesus coming again, yeah, it's fantasy. Just get on with it. Enjoy life now. That's what it's all about. And Peter writes his second letter with great urgency and affection. Just in chapter 3, three times, he calls the Christians he's writing to as his beloved. His beloved. And that's who and what we are. We are Christ's beloved children, aren't we? Again, just to orientate us, the first four verses of chapter 3 begin like this. This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I'm stirring up, literally waking you up, um, your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and remember the commandment of the Lord and Saviour through your apostles. Knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise coming? Where is the promise of his coming? And that's the accusation. God is tardy, he's slow, he's slack. The Bible records the sad and violent consequences of God's people forgetting God's word. Just as there is nothing new under the sun, so the threats to Christ's people are not new. They're just old ones dressed in a new wardrobe. And that's what I... I've uh, loved about being here this morning is the generous time given to the public reading of scripture from the Old Testament, from the Psalms, from the New Testament so that we can be helped to remember, remember. Now the first reminder that uh, Peter gives his beloved in chapter 3 is to remember biblical history and the flood with Noah. The Lord is the creator. He's created a moral universe where sin and evil will not forever go unpunished. The false teachers are choosing a willful amnesia to write off, to forget God's dealings in history. And Peter says, 
you do this, this is dangerous. You're playing with fire here. This is dangerous because you're in danger of forgetting God. The second reminder, where we'll spend a few more minutes, is from verse 8. Remember that time is in God's hands. According to Peter, this is the one truth or fact believers are not to overlook, uh, to not let slip. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. Now, Peter's actually quoting from verse 4 of Psalm 90 here. And whenever um, someone quotes from a part of the Old Testament, what they're doing is they're taking you back to the whole psalm or that whole part of Scripture. Peter's reminding Jesus' beloved church what Psalm 90 teaches about God, us and time. And I think there's at least five truths, five timeless truths there in Psalm 90 for us. First, that God is eternal. Humans are not. See, how can a thousand years look like a day? Or how can a day be like a thousand years? Well, because of who God is, verse 2. God is from everlasting to everlasting, or from eternity to eternity. Although God deals with humans in time and place in history, God himself is separate and outside of time and creation. God is creator, we are part of his creation. And that is that second point, isn't it? That he is a creating God, verse 2. God who brought forth the whole world. Now remember, of course, the Bible begins, God in the beginning. There was a time when not only the universe was not, but as some physicists are now postulating, there was a time, as we understand time, when time was not. The scoffers of troubling local churches you know, do not believe in, 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 in this world that has been created by God. And of course, if you don't believe in a world that's been created by a creator God, then you don't believe it's going to be uncreated, as Peter talks about in this passage, and that a new creation is coming. That third truth is that the everlasting God is a judging God. Psalm 90 verse 3 draws on Genesis chapter 3 verse 19. You turn people back to dust, saying, return to dust, you mortals. Because life is lived outside the garden, the psalmist is saying it's actually right and proper that humans feel their mortality. There's an appropriate fear of death that is good for us there is a coming day of justice when God's going to hold all and everyone accountable for how they've treated God, each other and his creation. The creator God is a moral God who's created a moral universe. And so we read in Psalm 90 verse 8 and 9, you have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath. Of course, if life is not lived under God's judgment, then there's no need to be saved from anyone or anything, is there? And the deceivers are saying that God's not coming 
There's no judgment day. So just live for the now. This is it. This is as good as it gets. But there is a day coming when all works on earth will be exposed according to 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. When everything, there's a day coming when everything will be laid bare, literally. It'll all be revealed. And there's no escaping that day and that reality, irrespective of what people think or believe. According to the Apostle Peter, this is fact. This is true truth. Which brings us, of course, to that beautiful good news and the heart of Psalm 90, and particularly the heart of why Peter is writing what he's writing here, that God is a saving God. Psalm 90 is written to remind God's beloved people that they are God's people, God's possession. They are his precious. They are under God's protection, his provision. And so Psalm 90 begins, verse 1, you have been our dwelling place. The Christian God is of immeasurable compassion and relentless love. After the golden calf incident in Exodus 32, the Lord takes Moses up the mountain, answers his prayer, shows him his glory. You'd think after everything that's happened, he's about to reveal that he's an awesome God, a fearful God, a holy God. What's the first character attribute that the Lord God reveals to the universe about himself? He's a God of compassion. In fact, the word, rachem, is related to the Hebrew word used for a mother's womb. It's, he feels the compassion and the mercy that a mother feels for a newborn baby. This is our God. Longs to show mercy for those who will come and join themselves to his son Jesus and to his people. And that fifth truth, God is a moral God. A moral God. Now, if I know that I'm waking up into a moral universe every day and that there really is a day coming where all sin, unbelief and evil is going to be judged... I think I'll approach that day with an appropriate uh, fear of this God, a trembling. I may even pray for this God to teach me to number my days and to please give me a heart of wisdom, which of course is the punchline of Psalm 90, isn't it? In sitting us in Psalm 90, the one fact we are not to forget is that the God who was before time created time there was a time when time was not as we understand time by our watch or our calendar this god this god is not only sovereign over all time but he's across all time at the same time that's a big thought for a sunday morning this god is everywhere in all time past present and future now why is peter sitting his beloved, in these truths about God, us and time? Well, because this is the God who has so humbled himself in his own son to come near to us. He's entered into time to take on all that sin and unbelief and carry it to the cross for us. This is the God 
who entered into the world at Christmas. I mean, is it any wonder the skies were filled with angels singing the glory of the arrival of this son, announcing to the universe that even God ordained that stars would lead magi to worship and kneel down to this this son of God. And at God's perfect time, at just the right hour, this son of God was crucified. And he's risen again to rule the world with all power and authority over all people for all time. And this son of God is the one who was already there at the end of time, whom every human will experience either as judge or saviour. What a privilege to be here this morning, his beloved, knowing this God as our God. Well, with Psalm 9 in our well-remembered, Peter now explains why the apparent delay in the day of the Lord's return. A second big point is it's all about God's character and his promises. All history. There is nothing that is not part of this universe and the history of the cosmos that is not the result of God's character and his promises. It's all shaped by who God is and his promises. And so verse 9, the Lord is not slow to fulfil his promise, as some count slowness, but he's patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Why didn't Adam and Eve die when they disobeyed God and ate of the tree? God said, he promised, when you eat from it, you will certainly die. But they didn't die straight away, did they? Because God mercifully extended the possibility of salvation. Why is it that you and I do not die when we disobey God? Well, it's because, again, Psalm 90, God has ordained that our days may come to 70 or 80 years if our strength endures. And the point here is that all time, every day is gift given by this God of time gift that is given for rebel humans to come to our senses, to repent and come to Jesus for forgiveness and the sure promise of eternal life. A little bit like Taylor. Taylor's on the left there holding a little baby. Met Taylor up at the Roxby Downs pub last October. She'd been coming to church for two weeks. Uh, Taylor uh, was 18 years old and pregnant when I met her. Uh, Her mum abandoned her at her birth. She was raised by her dad in the mines. The father of her child abandoned her the moment he found out she was pregnant. She doesn't know what it was that Sunday morning, uh, walking up the road past Roxby Downs Community Church, but she turned around and walked back down the road into church. Um, Gemma was there to meet and greet her. Gemma had become a Christian two years earlier. Uh, She heard her story, took her along to the new mums group in town, invited her around for a meal um, and... Gemma and Pastor Glenn MacDonald uh, met up with uh, Taylor over a number of weeks to read through Mark's Gospel and go through Christianity Explored with her. And December last year, Taylor uh, asked Jesus to be her Lord and Saviour, became a Christian. Because in Jesus, she'd met 
a God, a saviour, who accepted her despite her past, who welcomed her and will never abandon her or orphan her. And March this year, she was baptised as a Christian with her new little boy, Clifton, up at Roxbury Downs Community Church. It's stories like Taylor. This is why God is holding off the day of his son's return. There are so many more Taylors and Gemma. There's so many more people out there and overseas and in the suburbs around us who know nothing of God's loving, suffering, long-suffering patience for them, who know nothing of the offer, the invitation that actually we're told is their right to come and have their sins forgiven by this Jesus. Such is God's compassion, he wants none to perish, that all might repent and be saved. Sadly, unlikely to be the reality. A couple of um, takeaways for us, I think, there, uh, uh, as we count the patience of our Lord as salvation, is first that Peter reminds us something that Jesus taught repeatedly, that the day of the Lord will come like a thief, 2 Peter 3.10. Now, I don't know if you've ever been broken into. Uh, We have a few times. Uh, One time all our kids' money boxes were stolen and um, it was a different experience when they just broke into our back shed and stole the bikes. To have someone break into your... If you feel violated, then, whoa, you know. And I think Jesus uses this imagery um, to sort of evoke emotion of what it means to actually... Be watchful, as he says, you do not know the time uh, or the day in which the Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Sisters and brothers, a day is coming when justice will be dispensed and all evil and sin and unbelief will be judged. But like a bride, enthusiastically, energetically preparing for her wedding day, may we be energetically preparing and ordering our lives and our plans and our priorities, stewarding the gift of time that God's given us, stewarding our resources so that we are found ready for his arrival, whenever that may be. Now, as Peter goes on to explain, if that means there are things, there are idols, uh, uh, sin in your life that you need to flee, then you do whatever it takes to flee that sin. You pray, you beg God, and you get the help you need here. Stephen Alford, Christian, said that time is the most priceless currency, a fragment of eternity given by God for our stewardship. And I think Christians, of all people, should know just what a priceless currency every day is. Why is a day not today, dear sisters and brothers? Well, we don't know. It could be for some of us. We don't know what, what's, what's ahead. We just know that we need to be ready. 
The day is not now is because the Lord is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but all should reach repentance. And of course, this is the heart of BCA's mission, has been for 104 years. We utterly believe this. And brings us to the second application, that God is patiently holding back the day of Jesus' return. Then we, as Christians, are gifted the opportunity to partner here locally and with mission agencies like CMS, with Bush Church Aid, with whatever, to help Jesus build his church before he returns, to get the gospel out to those who need to hear it. And as I said, if you if you yet to sign up with BCA, please can I encourage you to do that. But I finish with this question. Are we longing and looking toward the day that matters most? with the energy and the enthusiasm of someone on the runway to getting married. You know, Jaya and Cohen, they dated and were engaged for 20 out of their 24 months with Cohen living in Darwin and Jaya in Adelaide. Long-distance relationships, they're hard work. You live more by faith in the words, looking forward, longing for the day when you will finally be together. And I think a Christian is a little like being engaged in a long-distance relationship, isn't it? Longing for, looking forward to the day when we will no longer live by faith in Jesus, live by sight, we will be with him in the new heavens and the new earth. And so may we be wary of anyone or anything distracting us from arriving at the day well prepared, especially those deceivers saying that the idea of Jesus' return is fantasy. Now, I don't know about you, like, perhaps like being in a long-distance engagement, it is hard to imagine just how good being with Jesus in person is going to be. I mean, can you just imagine even just one day where there are no tears, no suffering, where you are not selfish for a day? <laughs> can you imagine a day when there, where there is no evil, like no lies, there is no war, it's all been banished? A day where as hard as you look, you can't find a funeral director or a cemetery because there's no death. Sisters and brothers, may we not forget that this present life is what a wedding rehearsal is to the reality and joy of the wedding day and life together. Because that's what the Christian life is. It's a wedding rehearsal. Getting ready for the day that matters. I finish with these beautiful words from Revelation 19, verse 9. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Can I pray for us? Most Heavenly Father, I pray to you, uh, picking up those beautiful uh, words of David, from Psalm 31. Please will you help each of us to so trust in you, Lord, to be able to say to you every day, you are my God. My times are in your hands. Amen.